And it's Carolina Peace, even though I don't look like Carolina Peace, I am Carolina Peace. And uh, you're listening to Tom and Zeus on the Shouted Out Loud cast. So keep listening, keep rocking. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Shout It Out Loudcast. Don't turn your radio dial. You're in the right place because the first episode of the ARC interviews are here. We are calling this one, Which Guitarists Choke People? Which Guitarists Hate Haircuts? And why the hell is Graham Bonnet here? Tommy Zeus, what's up? Yeah, we're here. Uh, we, we never stop recording, right? So what's better than another sidecast? And this is the, this is our first one. We're going to try to continue these and get people involved with all these ARC albums we've done, whether they're a member of the band or producer, engineer, whatever. And, uh, we got Zeus's favorite Graham Bonnet. Yeah, he was gracious and hilarious. We just wrapped up the interview. Uh, (laughs) you guys will hear it. Uh, Graham was, uh, was fun. And the fun part about this, we were just saying is like, we don't know what we're going to get when we talk to these people because we don't really have conversations. We don't do the pre interview shit like they do on the tonight show. Right. And we don't know what we're going to get a a happy person, a grouchy person, or (laughs) what you're going to hear next. Uh, we think you'll like it. So let's get right to it. So starting us off with our album review crew f- interviews, uh, our first guest is Graham Bonnet, the legendary singer for one of our album reviews, Down to Earth from Rainbow. Uh, Graham has played with just about everybody that's pretty cool in music. Richie Flackmer, <laughs> Cozy Powell, Roger Glover, John Lord, Mickey Moody, Ingve Malmsteen, Bob Kulik, Slash, Vivian Campbell, Don Airy, and I'm sure a ton more. Um, we are honored to have you, Graham. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be here and uh, to talk about my favorite album. Well, one of them, I'll say. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. So t- so let, let's just get started with, with Down to Earth. So it was obviously a change for the sound of Rainbow with the yeah. album with the album itself and then with your vocal style. T- tell us about how you got to Rainbow and in in your feelings about the band before you recorded down to earth and, and what, what changes that you brought to the band with down to earth, because everybody thinks of that album, the two huge songs all night long. And since you've been gone, classic, yeah. classic songs. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know who rainbow was when I got the telephone call from uh, Roger Glover, who was actually working with a friend of mine, uh, Mickey Moody on uh, the white snake album, I believe at the time. And, uh, uh, Mickey Moody and I were managed by the same people. And, uh, Roger said, uh, to Mickey, well, we're looking for a new singer for, for rainbow. And he said, well, I can put you in touch with Graham. They'll be talking about getting in touch with me. And so, um, I can put you in touch with Graham because I have his telephone number and his shoe size and everything else, you know. <laughs> so, um, Roger called me up 
and um, said, would you like to come over to, it was sort of on the, uh, the border of Switzerland and France, this place. And um, I said, well, for what? And he said, well, to audition for us for this uh, band called Rainbow. I had never heard of them, which I just said, I think. And uh, so uh, I went to my manager at the time, uh, D- uh, David Oddy, and I said, uh, who is who is Rainbow? And so Mickey Moody took me aside and said, this is who they are. Basically, was Deep Purple come Rainbow kind of thing. You know, so oh, Deep Purple, I knew who they were, but I didn't know who Rainbow was. And Mickey said to me, yeah, I mean, uh, he said, they're a great band, blah, blah, blah. I told him who was in the band, et cetera. And uh, so my manager said, you go over there and uh, audition for them. Well, I, as I said, I had no idea what they'd uh, what they'd done, Rainbow. And so I had to buy the albums or listen to the albums that uh, uh, Ronnie Dio had sung on before. And uh, I learned what they'd done. Well, one song, a, a song called Mistreaty, which actually yeah. wasn't. One is originally uh, original recording, but uh, that was a, a song they wanted to um, me audition with. So I learned that song and went over and sang it at them, and um, kind of got the job. I, I remember going over there thinking, "Well, I don't know what this is, but uh, okay." So <laughs> I went there, did this one song, and uh, came back to uh, at the time went back to London. And I said to my manager, I still don't don't think I'm right for this this band because it's that sort of semi-classical stuff going on. Whereas I've been used to uh, singing along with, um, you know, more R&B and pop stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, they were very heavily classically influenced. And I was sort of a bit scared of doing that, you know. And uh, so he said to me, no, you, it'll, this will be really good for you, Graham. And, of course, it was good for him more, more than me, <laughs> money, money-wise. And uh, he said, um, go back and uh, they want to start recording with you. I said, well, who, who else has been auditioned? He said, well, about 70 other singers, apparently. This is the, the legend, I think. Um, and I said, well, well, why me? You know, and uh, they like your voice. And that's just the way it is, uh, because they remember you from other recordings I'd done in the past, back with my uh, cousin in 1968. I, I, I was in a, a group with him called the Marbles, yeah. and the two of us, it was just the two of us actually, uh, were re- re- recording um, uh, Barry Gibbs songs, and uh, that's how we sort of got started in uh, in my uh, recording sort of uh, new life, um, because I came from a small town, we had a garage band, we went down to London, and uh, we, for some reason, in the audience were sitting uh, the old manager of the Bee Gees and my cousin Trevor Gordon used to be in the Bee Gees when he was in Australia when he was about 14 or 15 years old. Mm. It was called Trevor Gordon and the Bee Gees. And uh, Trevor used to send me these um, records over that were recorded by the Bee Gees and him singing and playing guitar. Anyway, it's um, it went on that uh, the, the guy in the audience who was the ex-manager of the Bee Gees in Australia came over to him, he was visiting London, and said, I'm sure that Barry and uh, Morris and Robin would like to get, uh, you know, get to see you again, Trevor. So my cousin Trevor went over to Barry Gibbs' house, I'm saying this very quickly, went over to Barry Gibbs' house and said, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. They started to talk about what they wanted to do, and they wanted to record with my cousin again. So my cousin said, well, my cousin sings too, his name is Graham. And so like a couple of nights later, I went over to Barry Gibbs' house, and we started singing and playing guitars and singing Beach Boys and Beatles and Stevie Wonder and R&B stuff, whatever. And then the job bar. Hey! And then the job bar. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> it's all good. It's okay. Yeah, so so anyway, they they sort of um, 
Robert Stigwood came into the room. He was there, the manager of the Bee Gees. Hey, hey. That's a dog that he's talking to people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's for my whole story here. Just up on that about. Hang on. That's okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> this is magic. what happened with this is what yeah, happened with Carrie. She's got to walk like a. She's a lunatic. She's she's a good dog, but uh, her mom has just got out to do you know, some laundry now. I believe. Oh, it's the whole uh, whole rock and roll story here. So, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, um, Barry Barry Gibb was asked by Robert Stigward, their manager, um, uh, and uh, to write a song for me and my cousin. And uh, a couple of days later, we recorded a song. It was called Only One Woman. And we went into the chart later with this uh, particular song. It was never released in America. It was released in England and all over the place, uh, Europe. And it became like a number one in uh, certain parts of Europe, but a number three in England. So we suddenly had a recording career. And from that, (laughs) I'm getting around to the the, uh, rainbow thing. From that, uh, they were playing... Rainbow, <laughs> Cozy Pal, Don Airy, etc., were sitting around playing what spot that tune. And my uh, song with my cousin just happened to be one of the tunes they were playing on the cassette machine. Oh, cassette wow. machine, remember those? And um, <laughs> and uh, Richie said, "Where is this guy now? He sounds perfect for the band." So um, Roger, because he was working with Mickey Moody, you know, there, 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 there. We got in touch, and I went over, did the audition, as I said, and I still thought I wasn't right for the band, but they wanted me to be in the band because they wanted to change the image, apparently, to something a bit more so-called modern or radio-friendly. Yeah. And with me, they thought they would probably get that. So anyway, eventually, we did get around to recording. It took a long time. Roger and I uh, spent lots of hours in the studio putting the songs together, and the album became... An album called Down to Earth, and uh, an album I'm very proud of, and very proud to have uh, worked with uh, those musicians. It was just a new turning point for me, and apparently the band, because they wanted to become more radio friendly, um, a little bit more commercial, probably. And they had this one song called Sinchamin Gone that was very commercial, and nobody wanted to record it in the band. So it's like, <laughs> you've got to yeah. do it, said the bank manager, not the bank manager, the band manager. Uh, so, so the band under, you know, tied up and handcuffed, went into the studio to do uh, Century Being Gone. And that changed the direction of Rainbow and me. That's, yeah. That's, you know, uh, mighty whatever's clashed. And uh, it was a good combination, I think. And uh, I'm very glad that I did that in the end. And uh, I think they were too. You know? That's great. I, I don't know if I said that story properly. I'm, I'm all over the place. As I said, I'm just spoken. No, it's okay. Ah, no, it was, it's all good, bro. Great. Sonny, you, right, you, yeah, you have a question. Well, Graham, you had said, you know, when you're recording, okay, so they've got, they want to go a little more commercial. You have some commercial songs. But at some point, the guy who loves Little Richard and Buddy Holly has to sing this Dungeons and Dragons man on the Silver Mountain. So yeah. is there a conversation that happens with Richie saying, that's not going to sound the same. I'm going to have to do it my way here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I did it my way. I did it my way. I know Frank Sinatra said it better than me. Yeah, I mean, I I could not um, emulate or copy what Ronnie did. And that's one of the points I made. I said to my manager, I said, um, at the time before I was in the band, I said, well, I don't sing like that. I've got a completely different voice. 
And that's apparently what they wanted. And I wasn't going to copy Ronnie's style because that's not what I do. You know, I said, I sang the way I sing the way I sing and that's it. But they wanted it to be that way. And uh, it turned out pretty good. But uh, it was weird coming in after a guy like Ronnie, who was very much kind of the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons guy. You know, and <laughs> yep. I, I'm the guy with the short haircut and the suits. Anyway. Yep. Now, <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is there's always that part where it says, that all the songs were written by Richie and yeah. Roger. But yeah. I've heard, and uh, I got the Martin Popoff book who talks about the rainbows and you guys, that you've mentioned that a lot of that stuff were the melodies and stuff were came from you. Yeah. So did you participate in the songwriting and perhaps as the new guy didn't get any a lot of the credit or something? Yeah. No, I, I didn't because I didn't realize what I was doing. Roger would give me a basic tune, a very rough idea of a tune for um, you know the melody for uh, each track. Yeah, and we did each track probably four times in different with different melodies, different lyrics, blah blah blah. You know, like a verse and a chorus, whatever. And uh, we choose from those, uh, which is going to be you know the final product. But uh, Roger gave me a vague idea of how to you know what melody should be sung here and there. And I just, he said, just do it your way, you know, take it where where you would take it. And that's basically what I did on all the tracks. And I didn't realize I was songwriting until much later, many years later. And uh, somebody said to me, uh, where's your name on the credits? I said, what do you mean? (laughs) Well, well, yeah, but I didn't think writing was just singing and making it up as you go along. Yeah. After that, that's all I did. I made up as I went along. You know. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, any way you want it, you know, do it, take it your way. So I didn't realize I was a songwriter until now. And now it's like, um, you know, a bit too late now, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, so we're we're talking about, uh, uh, and by the way, I'll just say, uh, uh, was it last Christmas, Tom? Tom got me the Monsters of Rock live at Donington, where you guys were the uh, closing band, headline this for the first Monsters of Rock. You yeah. do justice to those Ronnie James Dio uh, rainbow songs. I love this. Love oh. this. And I will tell you, I don't have a problem the way you sing those songs. I think it's, you know, it's not obviously Dio, but you still do a good job. And the whole album is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, That's a lot. Yeah, because uh, that was one thing I was kind of nervous of because I wasn't your typical long-haired, uh, you know, uh, looking stinger for a hard rock band, whatever Rainbow is. I, I don't know what you call it, heavy song, you know, whatever. Yeah. Heavy metal band. I never saw them as heavy metal. I, I sort of heard that band as hard rock or heavy rock. Yeah. Uh, but um, whatever it is, you know, I, I didn't seem to fit. But uh, anyway, it, uh, in the end, it uh, became that uh, I did fit. But I remember one night, uh, in fact, one of the first nights, we we played um, somewhere. I've forgotten what the hell it was now. But in rehearsal, uh, one of Richie Blackmore's favorite songs is "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow." Yes. Anyway, these guys were sitting uh, in the front row and all giving me the finger and saying, "Fuck off, you fucking you know." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. We want Ronnie, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we got we went into we just a bit tomorrow so i went to the front of the stage sat down at the front of the stage and these guys were like you know five feet from me or whatever and i said tonight you're mine <laughs> completely with all, the most romantic voice i could do 
and they laughed and they laughed. And after that, they're on my side, you know. Yeah, so won them over. Yeah. Good afternoon. It was fantastic. It was yeah. a bit of fun. And they realized I wasn't Ronnie Dio and I didn't want to be. I, I can't emulate him. I don't want to copy him, you know. So anyway, that's the way it went. Yeah. And after that, everything became uh, pretty um, pretty good because we had lots of good press, blah, 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 you know, and uh, everybody knew what to expect after that, I think. So you had two of the, the two big songs that we always talk about, you know, the, the all night long and since you've been gone. Those those are the ones that, that I think everybody will agree with that really showcase the power of your vocals, the pop sensibility that you kind of had prior to to coming into Rainbow. But Down to Earth also has a couple of songs that are a little bit, you know, kind of a little bit more somber, like Eyes of the World, Making Love. Were were those songs like was that a challenge for you? Oh, oh, oh because it was very different from from a, an upbeat pop like since you've been gone those were a little yeah. bit more darker and somber did you was that something that you were used to in your previous career or was that something you kind of had to adjust for for that yeah i mean it's, it's um you know uh, those songs it were i love those songs and i just sang them my way but yeah. my voice is the same on uh these tracks on the dance worth album as they were back in 1968 when i was singing stuff with my cousin it's mm-hmm. the same voice, and that's the voice they wanted. And uh, you know, it was it was very easy to adapt. It wasn't anything really new, but I understood that I got to be a little bit more raunchy or whatever. And um, <laughs> but I wouldn't change my image because that's who I am. That's who right. I've always been, and I can't change the way I look, and I can't change the way I sing. If you want me to be in this band, it's not the way I look; it's the way I sing, and that's what. Happened, you know. People liked me after that. You know, I was a very confident after that first that first gig when yeah. that happened. I thought, oh, this is fun. And don't be scared, Graham. Go out there and you know show them what you do and do it your way. Mm-hmm. And uh, people accept me for what I am. And suddenly, I find myself. I'm in the uh, heavy rock singer, you know, top ten or whatever. I'm going, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just a damn singer for Christ's sake. You know, <laughs> I'm not the heavy rock singer. I don't like being labeled. I don't think anybody does. Right. But, right. Um, Suddenly, I'm you know I'm like Bruce Dickinson or whatever you know. Right. Bruce is a friend of mine, so well, yeah. he's a different kind of singer too. Right. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon 
offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So one of the things, Graham, I saw recently, I follow you obviously on social media, there's that kind of famous YouTube clip where Richie is, uh, you know, being kind of Richie and he's talking about the story about the haircut and how you, the legend goes that he wanted you to grow your hair out. And so when you were on tour, he had somebody supposedly sit outside your room. So you wouldn't go out and get a haircut. And then one day you jumped out the window and you posted (laughs) that video on your social media. And you're like, listen, people don't get Richie. And this is the truth about this. I would love if you could share that with our listeners, because that, that, that shows, this is one of the reasons why I'm really fond of you. Cause I think you got a great personality and you're like, listen, Everybody doesn't get Richie. And, you know, I trust the guys that were in the band with Richie to kind of explain him a little better because he's got that reputation. And I'd love to hear that story and your repu- and your relationship with Richie. Well, my relationship with Richie was great. I always had great fun with him. He wasn't who he appeared to be, dark and moody. Yeah. He was a very shy person, picked his friends, etc. But uh, that story is completely fake. What happened was... Um, we had an afternoon that we were, I can't remember we were playing, but we had like the day off or something. And, um, anyway, we had a day off and then we had, we're playing the next night. And that uh, afternoon, I was, I think we we're in Edinburgh. I can't remember where exactly, but I was with, with my ex-wife and my, my hair was getting scruffy. If you have short hair, you've got to keep it trimmed. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, so I said to her, oh, while you're shopping, there's a barber shop over there. I'll go and get my hair trimmed. So that's what I did. There was no guard on the door. In fact, I had been uh, to see to see our uh, tour manager, Colin, Colin, and he said, yeah, I'm supposed to be the guy that's sitting on the door. I said, I know. Isn't it fantastic? We're like three flights up. I'm going to jump out the freaking window. Yeah, sure. This did happen at the holiday inn. You know what I'm saying? And no, I didn't do that. And uh, I just find it very, very amusing that uh, that story has lasted all this time. And Richie still adds little bits onto it now. He plays with it. And, you know, a little bit more, he oh, should have hit him over the head with a guitar. You know, all this all this kind of stuff going on. But uh, he would never have hit me over the head with a guitar. But what happened was when we actually did get on stage together, together to play and my hair was shorter, uh, he looked at me, his mouth was wide, his mouth dropped, his jaw dropped. Like, you know, it was one of those things. 
And uh, <laughs> and suddenly he sort of walks off very quickly behind his stack. And we never saw him for the rest of the night. He played behind his amps. And, um, you know, he came back late for the encore, of course. I mean, he came out later, but for the first few songs, he wasn't there in protest because of my haircut. Wow. And the next day, um, we're all called to Richie's room, uh, band call, you know. And so we all had to go to Richie's room in the Holiday Inn, four floors up. And we thought, what, what the hell's going on here? What, what's this all about? And um, so we walk in the room and Cozy said, Iris, well, what's what's happening, you know? And Richie says, it's Graham's hair. You know, like that, you know, like, ah! you know, get out the, the garlic or something. It was very, very strange and very funny. Everybody cracked up, you know? It's like, wow. are you kidding? You, that, when he's had his hair cut, you know? And then there's, you know, what, so, so, <laughs> you know, what, what about it, you know? And um, so that was it. And then after that, there was no more problems about my freaking hair. But one day when, when we were on tour a little while, you know, after a month or whatever, my hair started to grow along. And I remember looking across the restaurant in the hotel room at the time, and he's giving me the thumbs up because my hair was like an inch longer than it normally is, you know. <laughs> but uh, I thought, oh, I better go get it cut again. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because, you know, as we mentioned, like the, the, the legend you know, uh, the reputation of Richie Blackmore kind of precedes himself because people recognize him as a legend, as an icon in, 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 you know, guitar, but people yeah. always say, Oh, but, you know, when they talk about, you know, is he, is he difficult to work with? Does he, you know, is he, is like you said, is he moody? Is he grumpy? Is he sour? Cause he, and, and that's kind of like, Oh yeah. Richie Blackmore's great. But now you were with him for a long time. It was only one album, but obviously touring recording. Yeah. You had obviously a great experience with him. And I think that's important for us as Rainbow fans and for our listeners to hear that because a lot yeah. of, you know, how like the legend goes with a lot of these classic performers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got on with him, on with him very, very well. And by the way, I was never fired from the band. Yeah. I left the band after certain things happened within the band. And um, it um, kind of annoys me when I see that. No, I left and I was asked to go back, but I didn't go back. Anyway, okay. um, Richie and I got on pretty well. I would go to his dressing room every night, and he had a bottle of, I think it was Jack, Jack Daniels, and he had a certain mark on, on it, you know. He said, well, Graham, if we drink it to about there, we should be about right. <laughs> should be about right. And I said, oh, yeah, that should do it, which he normally did. It was about, I don't know, a couple of inches. He had a, an inch of his, and yeah, that's how it went. And so and he said, you ready? And said, all right, and who are we going to play a joke on tonight? Oh, I don't know. What should we do? So we'd have jokes. We'd work out, you know, stage, stage, uh, stage jokes, stage jokes. And uh, one night it was, um, I remember it was when Cozy finished his drum solo, we came walking out with, you know, uh, 10, 9, you know, numbers <laughs> on cards. That was one thing we did. But it was always, you know, oh, 10 out of 10, Cozy. Nah, it was an 8 tonight, sorry. But, you know, it was like that. And I, every night I would go into his dressing room and talk to him. He'd say, Graham, he's coming down. Yeah, I'll see you in a bit. And I would always have no problem with him. But I can see what it is because people, other people I've heard from who he's worked with, I've had a bad time with him, and I don't know why. I'm easygoing, yeah. very, very easygoing. And I think it's a problem from the other people that uh, – have the problem there, not necessarily him. Interesting. You know, I, don't, I don't know anybody in particular, but uh, I've heard this, but he's just 
a very, very, he keeps himself to himself. He wants his own space, you know, one of those guys, you know. Interesting. I, I remember in Japan when like 10,000 people were attacking him for autographs, he would sort of go, okay, that's enough, that's enough now. And it was enough, you know, after a show. Sure. Um, go to your room. And th- that's all really, you know, he, he just wanted to, he didn't understand why he signed autographs. Neither do I, but you, you do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's who he is. Very much a keep himself to himself guy. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is, and you, you're right. I've heard about the stories that sometimes get said that you were fired, but you ended up trying to, they were trying to do the next album and then nothing really was coming of it. Now, am I mistaken, but did you record a version of I Surrender and is it out there? Like, is it available? Well, well, when we did, when we started rehearsing in Copenhagen, we were going to get ready to uh, do the next album. There was me, uh, Cozy had gone at this point. We had a new drummer, and it just wasn't the same without Cozy. I was used to, we're very, very good friends, me, Cozy, and uh, Don yeah. Airy, in fact, like the uh, Three Musketeers. The three of us stuck together. We always had a laugh about the band. You know, we, we kept everything very lighthearted. Anyway, um, what was happening was um, nobody's really turning up to rehearsals to start, you know, making up new songs. So one one day there'd be like three of us there, another day there'd be two of us there, and then another day there'd be nobody there. And it was like the band had completely gone downhill. I thought the band was going to split up, to be honest with you. I thought that was it. And uh, I said to um, I, t- I said to uh, Don Airy one day, I said, we don't have any songs. What the fuck are we doing? You know? And he said, I don't know, Graham. He said, but we do have one song from Russ Ballard, and we have this song called I Surrender. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roger said, well, what we could do is go in while we're doing nothing. We could go in and you could do some backing vocals on that. And that's what I did. I did the backing vocals, no lead vocal at all. Oh, okay. I did some, I, started, I did the chorus vocals kind of thing. And uh, after that was over, we said, okay, what happens next? And so it went back to that kind of nothing rehearsal for the next album. And I said to Don, well, I think I'll go home. And Don said, I'm going to go home too. He said, I think this is going nowhere. He said, I, I think I, I will have more fun, more fun playing on the ships like I used to do. This is on Aaron. So, you know, yeah. he played like 10, you know, uh, fucking uh, opera singers and God knows what on these tours. <laughs> on the so he, he said, I made a lot more money doing that. Anyway, he said, I'm going to go home because the fun has gone. And I said, same for me. So I went home, but Don Aaron stayed. And I found out later, you know, they found another singer and, uh, I got a call from uh, Bruce Payne, the management. He said to me, uh, well, do you want to come back? We found another singer who wants to sing. He started making up songs with the guys. And what about if you sing the songs you like and he sings the songs he like, He likes? I'm going, no, it's not going to work with two singers, you know? Yeah. And I just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it's time for me to uh, turn again, which in turn, as they say, you know, it's uh, time to do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I should have stayed. I really should have stayed. But um, they found, um, you know, Joe Lynn, who's a great singer. And I think uh, that's probably what Richie was really looking for. He wanted, I remember when I first joined the band, he wanted to do like a foreigner thing. Yeah. And yes. who else? I mean, he was perfect, you know. Yeah. So yeah. that's uh, when I didn't go back. I decided to uh, sweat it out and see what was going to happen next. So they went on without me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sonny. Graham, do you remember making the videos? They were pretty much performance videos, but... When we're watching them, and I don't know when was the last time you saw the two videos you guys made, but your energy and everybody else's energy is at a yeah. different level. 
Like you look like you're ready to party, discotheque. You're ready to rocker it out. And those four other guys seem like they're in deep purple still. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I always think uh, I'm a bit boring. I I used to say, what can I do on stage? I'm I'm boring looking. I've got a freaking tie on sometimes. And sometimes (laughs) the tie comes off. I thought, "What, what can I do? And uh, people said, what do you mean, what can you do? You're doing it. And I don't realize what I'm doing. It must be something that uh, I forget about next day or something. Oh, man, you're really great tonight. In what way? <laughs> you know, I was. <laughs> I thought you were great. I didn't see anything really good coming from me. And I never really, well, in the last the last few uh, gigs we've done recently with my band, I, I suddenly realized, oh, yeah, this is going well, going very well. The band sounds fucking great. And I'm really pleased by how I sound. And I never say that. It was like, I remember after first one of the first gigs we did uh, this year, um, my uh, guitar player said to me, Graham, that could be a DVD. That sounds so damn good. We won't have to fix anything. And I'm going, oh, shit, really? And, and to hear that from this That's guy, awesome. you know, yeah. and then... The second night and the third night and whatever, you said it's so much. You got so much energy. You're singing really great, and, and I thought I am. But I said, don't play it to me. Whatever you do, because I'll just say, no, nah, that's fucking crap. <laughs> I hear every bump note. You know what I mean? I hear every flat note, every sharp note, every cough, every squeak. You know. But um, he said, no, there's none of that there. So I obviously had a lot of energy, even though I was probably half asleep. No, I wasn't. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm uh, like. 195 years old now, and it's um, people say, how, how the hell do you do this still? You know, I say, well, it, this is my job. This is all I do. And if I don't do it well, then I might as well not fucking do it, you know? But so I, I never think I am doing well. But when I'm pro- praised for that, I I accept the praise and go, oh, you, you may be right, you know? <laughs> once, in a, once in a while, you know, my ego kicks in. And go, oh, yeah, oh, you know, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know- but I, this is anything I've done, you know, even, you know, when I've recorded an album, it's like, I'll listen to that in a year, you know. There's always, you hear every little breath, every mistake, every, you know, no, that wasn't quite right or something, you know. So it's been good so far. And we had great uh, reviews on the on the stuff we've been doing recently. And it's uh, really pleased me. And on the album, by the way, on the uh, the Grand Bonnet album. So. Awesome. Well, your awesome. career is 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 legendary. Your vocals, from everybody that I've heard and reviewed and seen you say, you're you you know you're one of the guys that are still doing it at your age, and yeah. you know still sounds terrific. But I want to piggyback on what Sonny just said to you about those old videos. Yeah, there is a version of "Since You've Been Gone" where the vocals are completely different in the second verse. Like you, it, yeah. it, so was there two different cuts of that song? Because I try oh. to find it. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Do, I mean, yeah, they piece uh, together uh, different concerts, don't they, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I, could be, could be. Being, I, I was probably going, What's the worst of since you've been gone? How could I forget since you've been gone? Do you know, one night I did. <laughs> It was uh, one of those, like, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, you, you sing it. Yeah, give, give the microphone <laughs> to the bloody audience, you know, who sang it perfectly. But, but one night, I did actually forget the words to that, and I don't know why. It was a brain fart, you know, the ultimate brain fart. I've sung that song probably 8,000 times, you know, and uh, sometimes that does happen. But what uh, you've probably seen is, uh, Probably different clips from different nights, I would think. 
Yeah, it, it was interesting to hear. The only other things I wanted to ask you real quickly about were the last two songs on Down to Earth, Danger Zone and Lost in Hollywood. I think vocally, maybe I'm wrong. They are. They seem to be, I think, your best part. Like your performance on those, those are not easy songs to sing. And I think you really hit it out of the park. And those are the two deep cuts that I wish people would gravitate to. But they always hear the singles and think that's what the whole album is. Yeah, but those two last songs are are fantastic. You played Lost in Hollywood. Lost in Hollywood and Danger Zone. Yeah, Yeah. I love those. Those are my two probable favorites. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on Danger Zone. I remember doing the... uh, the backing harmonies to that. I think the backing harmonies kind of, to me, are better than the song almost. I like the backing harmonies. They, they really drive the song and they were very difficult to do. I remember it really taking a lot of time over that. And whereas um, Lost in Hollywood, I had a crate of beer beside me and I had to catch a plane. I'll never forget this. <laughs> and Roger said, we've got to get this last track done, Lost in Hollywood. Yeah. And the crate of beer there I, was like 10 beers and I drunk, I don't know, eight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about eight of them. So, How come you're still fucking standing? I said, well, you know, you know, but that, if it wasn't for those beers, I don't think Lost in Hollywood would be the same. I'm not sure. <laughs> God bless are. you then, because you song. nailed it. One of songs that I just love singing it. And it's always yeah. like the last song we do, you know. It's a great song and the words are good too. Yeah. 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 Sonny. Graham, you were talking about the myth about the haircut. Okay. Yeah. So there's another myth out there. That Ingve tried to strangle you once? Is that a myth also? No, that's a that's a mister. Uh, that's not a myth, it's a myth. It's uh, absolutely true. <laughs> oh um, Jesus. Yeah. That's uh that was a night uh, I'll never forget actually. Um we're playing this big, pretty big show. You know, I remember it was really, yeah, really happening. And it was coming to um Ingve solo, and uh I had my dark glasses on as usual, and I walked I went off stage, walked back, and actually fell over the stage at the back. It was a long drop, about 10 feet or something. And I landed on those barrier things, you know, like uh, hurdles, you know, using, mm-hmm. you know, hurdling, those things. They were back there, and I, I hit my chest on it. I'll never forget that. And I cracked two ribs. Anyway, I went out um, to the to the bus, and Ingbe came rushing out and said, you fucking can't, you fuck. And he got hold of my neck and started strangling me, pushing stumps as hard as he could into my throat. Really, really hard. I thought, wow. You pulled my you pulled my lead out, man. I said, no, what you I didn't pull his lead out at all. When he threw the sword, would I really <laughs> do that? Never in a million years. It's like taking a drumstick off of a drummer. Would I do that? No, of course I right. And he thought I'd done it on purpose, but I, I didn't see I tripped over it, obviously, because I've the fucking glass in them. And um it was uh, a mistake, I, you know, I'll never forget. Anyway, he started putting his thumbs like really hard into my throat. Really, really hard. I mean, I'm not kidding. He tried to flop me. And uh, one of our crews, uh, a Hungarian guy, I remember his very big Hungarian guy, looked like a freaking wrestler. He grabbed all the English head, put his head under his arm like this, you know, <laughs> touch Graham again. I fucking kill you, he said. Yeah. And that, that, was, uh, that was the end of that evening and the end of... <laughs> Ingbe <laughs> being in the band, and unfortunately, the band didn't take such a good turn after that because Ingbe was undoubtedly a star in that band, no, no doubt. Right, right. Wow. Now, wh- what would you say the comparison between Ingve and Richie? Do you have your thoughts? 
Uh, hey, what? Well, anybody was whoops. Anybody was great at first when he first joined the band. It was fantastic, but then when he saw that the audience really enjoying him more than anything, watching him do all his you know, guitar playing, which was incredible to watch. You know, this was a kid. You know, he was eight, nineteen. Yeah, and he's playing all this stuff. Go, wow. Look at that. This kid is amazing. You know, you can't see what a singer does or whatever, you know, in the throat. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> a guitar player, you can see what he's playing. And it's amazing. what he was doing was amazing. Right. And uh, he, he knew this. And um, he started to um, sort of, uh, you know, when I was doing my bit, for instance, in a song, he would start going, you know, through <laughs> a book or something and stand in front of me, you know, and he's talking about, you know, he's talking me. And uh, it, it didn't work. And uh, I, I said, you know, please, you know, just you know, give me my room when I'm doing my bit. It's my bit. Then it's your yeah. bit. It's your bit. Uh, and that's his ego grew to fucking gigantic size. Yeah. And uh, it was like, you know, we might as well not been there, you know, really. Right. So eventually, as you know, as I said, we we fired him up and tried to kill me on the bus that way, <laughs> on the way home. And uh, that was that. And he became very, very well known and still doing very, very well. Yeah. And the band took a dive, you know, because we didn't have anybody anymore. Yeah. The other guitar great that you played with was Michael Schenker Group. Now, I love this album, Assault yeah. Attack, is one of my favorite songs. I think you kill it on this. Um, any chance you want to tell us a little bit about the infamous story um, in Sheffield? Oh, that one! Yes, <laughs> I'd be. Just, I had to get. Just it. Blame, I had to blame the White Snake guys for getting you drunk. That's just blame them. What? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, the one about the uh, the pants. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think you played with him after that. Did you ever talk with him again? Are you? Have you ever reconnected well, my, with uh, Michael? I've yes. been playing with Michael uh, a couple years ago. Perfect. Yeah, and, we got uh, back. They did a tour. Michael did a tour of um, all the singers, and we all sing our songs that, that we recorded with him, and uh, blah blah blah. Backing vocals for that guy, backing vocals, you know. So we we played together, and that's all right now. It's all uh, it's all good now, and uh, Michael and I get on very very well now. I'm glad to say. But it was um, again, it was Mickey Moody's fault. No, it wasn't. It was um, <laughs> well, it sort of was, but they were. I was went to the of all mistakes. I make, which back then was always the mistake I made, going to a freaking pub. And uh, in the pub was uh, the White Snake guys, and they were all drinking, hey, great, blah, blah, blah. You know, hey, God. Yeah, yeah, they were opening up for us, I think, or something. Anyway, they were playing, and uh, I, I, you know, I had a drink or six with them. And I went, I said, oh, crap, I'll, I'll buy this round. And um, I found that I didn't have my wallet in my pocket. So I went back to the to the theatre and um, I knocked on the dressing room door where my jacket was, and I couldn't, I couldn't open it for some reason. It was Michael in there. He locked the door. And, uh, and I heard, who is he? I said, Graham. Oh, fuck off. I'm sleeping. You know, <laughs> what? I said, I, Michael, I need my wallet. My wallet is in my jacket in there. Can I get it? No, fuck off. <laughs> oh, okay. So that wasn't good from the start. You know, it's like, oh, fucking hell. You know, is this going to get worse tonight or what? And it did. It got much worse. <laughs> uh, I went back to the pub, 
They, those guys were buying the drinks and they said, oh, don't worry, don't worry about it, Graham, blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, I was drinking like crazy, then back to the show, drinking in the dressing room. And by the time I got on stage, I didn't know where the hell I was, you know. I don't know who I was. <laughs> I had these jeans made uh, a couple of days previous. We get jeans made in uh, one hour in Oxford Street in London. And they were very flimsy, very flimsy jeans. <laughs> and um, apart from... Other things going on on stage, I couldn't, ah, you know, I was freaking out. Um, these jeans split. My, my zipper broke <laughs> and uh, my penis fell out. <laughs> I don't wear underwear. And it was the beginning of a whole new career for me, basically. It was the end of my career with uh, the Michael Shanker band. Because I started swearing at the audience, going, oh, fuck it. They were telling me to fuck off or whatever. But what had happened, the audience, because we had floor monitors and I had 2,000 songs written out on a piece of paper down the, on the floor, they pushed forward, they pushed forward the monitors and crunched up all these damn words to, um, you know, the uh, Michael Shanker albums I wasn't on. Yeah. Gary Barton had done. Oh, yeah. So all these songs, you know, the mind songs as well as his. So I couldn't read anything. And I said, you fuck it. I started swearing. I didn't care what the hell I said. And I just went, look, here. I walked off stage. And I said, I pulled back this curtain. I said, this is the guy that's playing rhythm guitar. Behind behind the curtain was somebody playing rhythm guitar. Oh, oh, no. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) So it was uh, not a good thing to do. Yeah. At that point... <laughs> I was out of the I was out of the theater real quick because one of our guys, a big youth, his his name was said, Ryan, you better get out of here real quick, you know. She said you're gonna fucking kill you. I said, Really? They are? With what? You know, but get out of here, you're a fucking shit. I said, Yes, I am. So you get back to the hotel. Got back to the hotel, um, ordered a cab uh next morning really quickly, got on a train back to London and uh we supposed to have a, a, a big show coming up in a day or so. And uh, I said, I can do this. You know, I can do this show. And they didn't want to know. And uh, they fired me. Well, wow. absolutely wow. right. And why not? You know, <laughs> I, I messed up big time, you know. Yeah. Wow. But we love how the fact is, like, you you say it straight. You don't play games. You would, you know, you, you have this. Uh, amazing way of like telling stories and, and not bullshitting and not hedging and not saying anything that's not true. And it's amazing. And uh, it's one of the reasons I'm quite fond of you and your career, but before we let you go, Tom has one last question for you. No! All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Grant, so, so our podcast is primarily, we do album reviews, but we yeah. spend a lot of time talking about the band kiss. So yeah. we want so we want to know, any thoughts on the band? Any thoughts on Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons? Anything on their career, their history? Do you know them? Have you ever been around them? Any thoughts on Kiss and their career? Well, I'm just amazed at what they've done over the years, and they're still doing it, you know. And I got to meet uh, Gene Simmons about, uh, I don't know, five years ago or something. And uh, my, uh, my uh, Bethany's uh, son was a big Kiss fan. Yep. And uh, we asked, somebody asked, uh, Gene, if we would sign an autograph for for him, you know. And so me and Bethany went back, and he signed it. He said, and now what's his name? Got his name. He said, because he's a drummer. Yeah. Her son. You know, it's, it's amazing. He's a really good drummer. He's only been playing for very, very few years, but he's turned into this incredible drummer. Like, nice. I don't know. And um, so Gene said, I'll, I'll give him a little me- I'll give him a message for him. And he did that for him. I was absolutely blown away. I thought, 
this guy's going to be, re- you know, you think Gene Tumor, you know, he's got the, he's another one, got this hard reputation. Right. But he yep. nothing like that. The guy was such a sweet man. And it's awesome. just really pleased to meet you, Graham. You know, nice. And, and all that. It was very open. I said, I'm glad to meet you and thank you for doing that. Bethany thanked him so much for doing this message for Levi, her son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've never been a Kiss fan at all, but suddenly that day I was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, one of my uh, friends, you know, uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the Kulik brothers, not, not Bob Kulik, oh. was in the band for a short time. Yeah, Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. And uh, Bob said, because I was playing with Bob at the time, uh, Bob said, we've got to go and see Bruce because they do it without the makeup and everything. And I was pretty impressed. I was very impressed. I've never seen them uh, play at all. But uh, Bruce had a good time with them. And, you know, Bruce is a good guy. And I was, as I said, I was just uh, blown away by Gene's uh, really wonderful attitude. You know, nice. That's great. Now, Graham. What do you got going on right now? Where are you, are you touring? Do you your latest album? Tell people where they can get info on you. Anything? Yeah, well, you go to the band page somewhere, wherever it is. Um, the Grand Bonnet Band. Yeah, just look it there. And uh, the album is called um, "Day Out in Nowhere," and uh, I'm very proud of it. And uh, we're going out on tour in about uh, I don't know three weeks, maybe. We're wow. going to uh, Japan, uh, which would be nice. Um, and also, we're, I think we're playing in Chicago. I'm not sure. That hasn't been settled yet. I'm not quite sure. But uh, gigs are few and far between, as you probably know. Everybody's like going home because of the COVID thing and yeah. resigning at my age. They're going, oh, I've got enough of this, you know. So uh, we started playing. We're going to uh, start rehearsing very soon uh, because I'm very proud of uh, what we've done. I'm very proud of the, the two videos we made on this uh, song. You know, there's two songs on there, I should say. One's called Imposter, and the other one's called Uncle John, which uh, both of them have a huge amount of truth in them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to the words, you know, so um, I'm very proud, of, you know, Bethany, uh, Conrad, you know, we are the basically, we're the, the roots of the band. There's me, Bethany, Heavenstone, and Conrad Personale. We're the roots of that band. Yeah. We've had a couple of different players, you know, drums and keyboards, which we're probably going to change on this. I don't know yet, but, um, you, you know, I can't really say who it's going to be. But I think, uh, you know, we, we've got the songs. We're, we're the main songwriters. And uh, so, you know, that, that album, I, I'm so proud of it. The sound on that, Conrad did a great job, and Bethany did a great job working for the album. She really did. And uh, so the sound on the album is one of the best vocal sounds I've heard, actually. It really, yes. really. It really takes up every nuance, you know. And uh, that's what I always used to be missing when I was a, when I was a lad, when I was back in 68. They would bring out different microphones. Now that doesn't sound like you. And they put a whole bunch, you know, like a bunch of flowers. So it's singing to that one now. Now singing to this one. Now singing to that one. <laughs> go around, wow. That's a 58, that's a 57, that's a, that's a 91, that's a 126, and that was WD, you know, WD40. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and that, but this microphone, and I can't remember what it is, the freaking serial number or anything, but it's sort of, it's a really good uh, vocal mic. And um, Comrade really works hard on that to make it sound like me instead of like somebody singing in the other room, you know, which kind of happens sometimes. And uh, it's, I like all the tracks on there, especially Imposter and Uncle John. They're the two videos we did, yep. and uh, they are uh, pretty good. I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. I'm proud of the band. I'm proud of the people I'm working with, and I'm glad they don't hate me. 
<laughs> well, thank you, Graham. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sonny. One more quick thing, Graham. What is it about Japan that embraces certain artists? Like there's certain American brands that can't even get arrested in Japan, but then yeah. they love like when they're loyal to somebody like a Graham Bonnet, man, they are loyal to the hilt. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I know people there for, uh, oh, since 1980, you know, and they're all growing old now and losing their hair and gray and, uh, that's only the women, you know. I've <laughs> been <laughs> <laughs> quite quiet the right way, but you know what I'm saying. But I mean, they're the most loyal fans ever. And um, I remember Cozy saying to me the first time I went over there, he said, uh, you know, when we get there, he said, you won't, you won't fucking believe it. You won't believe it. I said, what do you mean I won't believe it? He said, just wait till we get there. And it was like Beatles time. But for wow. one, it was unbelievable. You know, mm. the people on the, on the train station, at the hotel, la, la, la people following us in cars and all this kind of stuff, going to the restaurants we went to, if we get to a restaurant without being seen, it was just amazing. They love Richie to death. They love Cozy. They love the whole damn band. They love the music. And I've still seen those people today. And when I, I um, when this album came out, they, they embraced it. Absolutely. You know, they follow my, my stuff as well as Rainbow, you know. So it's been really, really nice. So, and I appreciate what they do. It's just... It's just, I want to play here. I'd like to get out of bed in the morning and not have to get on a plane. Sort of, you know, get in a car maybe. But not in, this country somehow has not quite heard what we do. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, we, I, we never play here. Very, mm. very rarely. We do a wow. short tour here and there, but not a real long tour, which is something we're, we're looking to uh, get, you know. Well, hopefully you can come up to the Northeast, like Boston well, area. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone, anybody that's listening, please. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we ain't bad. You know, we ain't bad at all. You know, we've yeah. got a good band, as I said. And uh, the material's good. And we do a little bit of everything. Do a bit of Rainbow, a bit of Michael Shanker, uh, a bit of Impedicary even. A bit of nice. everything, you know. So, some good songs. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time. You've been very gracious. It's an honor to have you. Uh we we love your performance on this and you're continuing your you know this legendary rock career and we hope that you do come around and a lot of the listeners get to you know hear you in this new band and your new uh album uh the legendary grand bonnet thank you so much for your time we really yeah. appreciate it Graham, thank you so much. Oh. This is this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate welcome, everything man. you've done and, and your stories. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Did you understand them? I hope so. I oh, absolutely. No, <laughs> no, no. All right, guys. Sonny, thoughts? Well, you got to love an interview that you ask three questions and it lasts, uh, I don't know, 55 minutes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think Graham asked and answered his own questions. Like He didn't yes. even need anybody to ask yes. a question. He was awesome. Fucking an absolute! What a guest! I mean, like Zeus, like Zeus said at the beginning, when when we interview these people, like, okay, we don't is is he going to be serious? Is he going to be in a, in a gr We don't know. He, my God, just he. You can tell he loves to talk, and you could tell he loves to tell stories. And when he tells the stories, he's telling them as if he as if they just happened yesterday and they happened forty five. Yeah. I ago. love he got up and left. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. Pulled, he pulled a Kerry Stevens. He got up in yeah. the middle of the thing. But the funny thing is, um, like he didn't hold anything back. Like, mm -hmm. tell us about the timing. He bouncy choked you. Or tell us the time you're 
fucking incident where your dick came out or, uh, you know, the haircut story. Yeah. And just, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And we hope that the rest of these that we do will be just as fun and we'll have more coming down. Yeah. And, and for, for, for me, I mean, hearing story, like meeting somebody like that, hearing stories, I don't know about you. It, it changes for me. It changes the way you now listen to the music. So like the next time I hear since you've been gone, I'm gonna be like, that guy got choked by Ingve. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, but but he was so he was so um like proud of his time. He had a nice sense of humor, like he was like just a really pleasant man. Yeah. So between the three of us, yeah, we have spent over 150 years on this planet. Wow, yeah. Who the hell right. makes jeans in an hour? <laughs> that yeah. might have been part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. I, I just love that Sonny thought of and I and I was like, so those videos. Oh, I <laughs> love that. I love that. Because he looked so different. We talked about it when we did the, the album review. It's like yeah. he looks like he's ready to go party. The other four yeah. guys are told not to move. Yeah, that was like, great. That was yeah. great. I I this was a lot of fun. And yep. uh hopefully there'll be more down the uh down the line. That's right. Peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.